Hey, my name is Reed. I'm one of the staff members here with Salt Company. And I want to start off by asking you a question. And it's not one of those things where I pose a rhetorical question. I actually want to hear the answer from you. Uh, it's a simple question. Are you self-disciplined? So right now, go ahead, and I'm not going to judge. You're not being cocky or anything. Go ahead and raise your hand if you would say, yes, I am self-disciplined. Few shy people, except that guy. Just kidding. You should be proud of that. All right, now raise your hand if you are not self disciplined. All right, that's not as even as I thought. Um, and here's the thing about that I believe that half of you, over half of you actually, are wrong. I believe that the majority of you are wrong. I want to make the case that every person here is extremely self disciplined. Every single person. And I believe that because each of us proves this every time we say no to one thing and yes to another thing. Every time you say no to more time with friends, yes to homework, that's self-discipline. Every time you say no to sleep and yes to more Netflix, that's some self-discipline right there. <laughs> every time you say no to buying one thing so you can say yes to purchasing another, that's self-discipline. In fact, I know that some of you in here are so self-disciplined that you carve out three hours every night to play Fortnite. <laughs> that, that's discipline. Some of you, you get your assignments done quick enough that you can do that, or you skip them all together. That's how disciplined you are about Fortnite. I'm not judging. I'm just saying, and, and I don't mean to brag, I have been so self-disciplined with what I eat that I turn down salad almost every time it's offered to me. <laughs> it, it's been a huge blessing to experience that. Many are very disciplined to make time to do whatever they want based on however they feel, whenever they want, as much as they want to. The question is not if we are self-disciplined people. The question is what we are disciplined towards, what we are disciplining ourselves for. And tonight, uh, we'll be looking at a very short passage, the last four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn there in your Bible or your app. It'll be on the screen. I still encourage you to read along. Uh, but yeah, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And Michael Lisi, last week, he talked about Paul, the author of this book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul's example is a guy that everything he does is for the sake of advancing the message of Jesus. And so, some of what he's been saying sounds a little bit intense, and Paul's just kind of going for it at this point. And the verses we'll see tonight, it's a short amount of verses, but these are very, very rich, and I want us to see that. And before we start back up again in chapter 9, I want to pray again just that we can see what God intended for the Corinthians to hear in this passage, and that we can know more of God as we look at it right now. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this group of students. Thank you that we get to worship you and that we get to know you. Uh, I simply want to pray that we would hear your words tonight, see what you intended for the Corinthians, and would you show that to us? Would you show us how you want to bring these words to bear on our lives? We are praying this in your son's name. Amen. So starting at verse 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at these last four verses together. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. 
Notice in verse 24, he's using a very simple illustration. He's comparing their lives with the race of a competitive runner. And he's not like, hey, you know the guy that goes on a light jog through the meadow, smells some leaves? He's the guy that stops everybody that's walking their dog. Oh, what's your dog's name? Not that guy, and not the JV runner that's there because his friends had him sign up for track, which that was me, so I can say that. He's saying, run like the girl or guy that's there to compete, not the one that's jogging, the one that is there to win the prize. And, and notice in 25, look at this. He's basically keying in on this idea and saying, what can we learn from this runner that is focused? What can we learn? He or she is marked by self-control. And he's saying, we need to be like that. Because life with Jesus is supposed to look a lot more like a race than it is like standing in line somewhere. And let me clarify something that we absolutely need to know. When Paul is saying we, this is something we need to be aware of. He's putting himself together with the Corinthians and referring to their identity as Jesus followers. That's the first thing we need to know, and he's making this abundantly clear. It's that life with Jesus absolutely involves discipline and self-control. And sometimes it feels like this is a little too intense when we're talking about following Jesus. It feels like this is too laser-focused. And, and I think that we feel this way because many of us have become familiar with this, with the idea that as Christians, we've been saved from something, which is absolutely true, but we're less familiar with the truth that we've been saved for something. We've been saved from sin, death, and hell, and we've been saved for life with Jesus, and that has so many implications for us. This means we have a purpose for being here. It means we're being conformed into the image of God. We're learning to know him more and that changes everything. We're not just waiting for heaven. We are able to live life with Jesus right now is what it means to know Jesus. And when we're talking about self-control and discipline, I know everybody here has heard these words, uh, so I don't need to actually define them, but we are talking about training ourselves. To be disciplined, to be discipled, we say that word a lot, that means to be a learner. This is training language that we're talking about. We're talking about active training in the Christian life that's going to help us fight sin and love Jesus more. That's the type of training we're talking about. And if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is literally dwelling in you, and He helps us in that. So as a Christian, I ultimately just know this, I cannot will myself to be transformed to be more like Jesus, but I can do things, even very little things, that will help me to know Jesus more and love him more. And this is why some of you have that connector group leader and you're like, I wish they would quit nagging me because they're asking, hey, how's Bible reading going? How's prayer going? They ask it in group. They ask it when they're with you one-on-one. -on -one. They ask you when you're just hanging out. It's not because they're just trying to make you more churchy people. It's because we need to lay the word of God before us. We need to spend time hearing from God and talking with God. It's vital. We need to be in community with people like this that are going to put us in front of the Bible and consistently talk about the truth of Jesus and how it's up close and personal in our lives. We need this. We need to be helped along even by the smallest of habits because we're walking with Jesus, not for four years, not while we're in salt company, not just so long as we need it. We're walking with Jesus for the rest of our lives. We need to be helped along. 
And the reason that Paul brings up this topic of discipline, it's not totally random. And just remember this whole letter that we're going through, two, almost two full semesters. This is one letter that's meant to be read all together. And he's not bringing this up randomly for some random week of reading for them. This fits because he's saying, hey, Corinthians, the way that you're living and the things that you're doing, the way you behave sexually, the way you treat each other and people in general, you guys have seen this if you've been here for a little bit of the series, the way that you guys are living, these things are not in line with your identity as Christians. That's what he's saying. To use some of his own language about running the race, Paul, the author, is saying to them, the way that you are running is not at all reflective of the crown that you are running towards. And look again with me. Look at verse 25. Is it up on the screen? Yeah. Keep it up there. It's going to be up there for a while. The runner runs for a crown that perishes, but we run for a crown that does not perish. And back in this time, they had these games in the area of Corinth. It's like Isthmian games, something like that. I didn't include it in my notes. I don't know why I still said it. I can't pronounce it. Just know they're very similar to the Olympic Games. So, so they're very familiar. And the other day, Jake Herring, he's one of the pastors here at Candeo, he was helping me study this out a little bit. And he pointed out whoever would win these races, basically these Olympic running races, when they're up on the podium, what they would get is a crown of withered celery. Just a circle of celery plopped right there on their head. They're waving at everybody they want. That's all it is. Some vegetables, too dry to eat, wrapped up in a circle and made into a ceremonial crown. That's the type of perishable crown he's talking about. And I just want to camp out here and be a little reflective. If you're taking notes, that's awesome. Put the pen down, put your phone down, whatever. I just want you to think. I like that I actually heard a lot of pens click. So there we go. Uh, just think with me about this. Think about the trajectory of your life. Play out what your life is going to look like if overall you get everything that you're hoping for. Because I think that that will happen for a lot of people in this room. And for some, your, your aim, or maybe for a lot, your aim in life is to graduate, get a great job, meet a potential spouse, fall in love, hopefully at a time that works pretty conveniently with the job, buy a house, buy a bigger house at some point if you need to, keep crushing at your job, keep having more money, not too much, you're fine to live somewhat modestly, uh, have kids, hope that they don't do drugs, end up being academically gifted, but it's okay if they're not the smartest, just above average would be fine. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully they're well-rounded, good at a lot of things. They'll sit with you in church and take pictures at Christmas for you to put on Facebook. And hopefully they don't marry a weirdo. I mean, honestly, that's, that's their trajectory. And I'm not trying to mock that. I don't mean to be sassy. But if you think, weird word, the, the guy who spoke tonight was sassy to us. Uh, that's not what I, what I mean to do. But if you think carefully about what you're doing, that you might realize that regardless of what you say, all that you are doing is so that you can achieve something that's going to fade, either before you die or for sure when you die. All that you're doing is essentially to receive a circle of withered celery on your head as the crown. And hear me out, maybe the thing you love is actually running, or you love school, or you hope to have any of those things that I just said I won't discourage you. Those are great gifts from God to be enjoyed. But you have to know that if your aim in life is anything that this life on earth has to offer, you are running for a crown that's going to fade. 
You might, ask, you might ask, okay, this imperishable crown in here, is this a literal crown? Will there be a crown in heaven? I have been asking that the past two weeks because that is a complicated thing in the Bible. I'm not going to get caught up in that because the promised prize that we absolutely have if we know Jesus is Jesus. Our reward is in heaven to be in the presence of God. Our reward is not anything that we can run after here. And you know this. You've experienced it. That's why the things that you've chased after in life have left you wanting more. And they've left you anxious for something else. And I am fully aware that there are people in this room that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's you, I am so glad you're here. Especially if you're here because you have huge questions about this Jesus stuff. But the truth you need to know is without knowing Jesus, all that you can chase after is a prize that perishes. And at the end of the day, we all know exactly what we desire most. We know this. And the question I would pose to you, this one is a rhetorical question, are you satisfied with the trajectory of your life? And the Corinthians, they would say, I love Jesus, I'm living for Jesus, but Paul is calling them out because their lives look as if they can say that all day, but it doesn't seem lately that that is actually true for them. And anybody here ever watch Olympic curling? I know that's a hard right turn. Right, have you seen curling? Yeah, I think we got a picture. Yeah. I, I was trying to picture a curling team, and I was like, okay, picture a group of dads, and that's it. Uh, that's the curling team. But curling is an interesting thing. You've never turned the TV on during the Olympics and thought, I hope curling is on. But you'll watch it for two hours because it's incredible. It is a weird thing. I love it. And I didn't just bring this up to say I love curling. Picture this with me. Picture a person that hopes to be a professional athlete. Let's say it's a guy that wants to be a professional golfer. He's training day in, day out. Everything that he does, he wants it to help him towards that success of one day being a pro golfer. Every day for practice and training, he practices with the curling team. These guys right here, mustache and all. He lifts weights with the curling team. If they do that, whatever they do, he follows the curling team diets. He curls every day with them. He builds a curling court, whatever it might be called, in his backyard, follows all the curling pages, scrolls. He could scroll all day. He watches curling as much as he can, everything. He won't stop talking about it. He's outside getting the paper, and he talks to his neighbor about curling. Starts a blog about curling. Goes to Shields in the curling section, if they have that, buys some of those sliding rock things, the brooms, get some gray slacks and some gloves to match it. All of this to get ready to play professional golf. That doesn't make any sense. This guy can say he's getting better at golf. He can say he's preparing for it. But it doesn't matter what he says. He is preparing to curl. And some speak as if they are living for Jesus and running for that imperishable crown, but your life is about something entirely different. Some profess to be Christians. You say things like, I gave my life to Jesus at this point, but the reality is you tag the label Christian onto your name like it's another club that you're a part of that you just put on your resume. And I'm not trying to discourage you. I think that the most loving thing I can do is actually acknowledge this. To follow Jesus means Jesus is going to affect your time, your money, your habits, your heart, 
and literally your entire life. And this is obviously a massive concept. And it's overwhelming to think about the entire trajectory of your life shifting entirely. And, and that's why Paul is making this simple and reminding the Corinthians that their identity as Jesus followers will be reflected in their actions. Someone that is actually a golfer will do things that help them with golfing. Someone that is a follower of Jesus will do things that help them follow Jesus. I was just checking to make sure that that picture wasn't still up behind me because that would be awkward and hard to pay attention to. And this is my favorite part. Notice verse 26. He says, I do not run aimlessly. Since someone that's a follower of Jesus will do things that help them follow Jesus, he says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not live aimlessly because being aimless does not line up with who Paul is. I love that this word is used. It doesn't make sense for him to be without aim. He is a Christian and will pay attention to how he's living. And this is very challenging because for a lot of us, there's this idea that's easy to believe that being saved by Jesus, like I kind of said earlier, means saying a prayer and then waiting for Jesus to come back. But a reality that's very clear in the Bible is we are now in a broken world that is full of broken people, including all of us in this room, and within this world, if we are people that know Jesus, he gives us a different and better way to live. Including the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within us. So the reason we need to think critically about the way we're living is because living with Jesus means going against the grain of our own flesh and against what the world is telling us. We are going against the grain. It does not make sense to be a follower of Jesus and be aimless because following Jesus in a broken world means that we are going to work in an opposite direction and go against the grain of a lot that this world has to tell us. And even what our flesh tells us, we know this. Many of us in here have realized there are some destructive patterns of sin in our lives. Some that we have been building up for years. And now, maybe in the last couple of years, maybe in the last semester, You've realized that following Jesus means adopting some things into our lives, such as spiritual disciplines. And it also means fighting against that grain of our own desires and what culture tells us. We desire to gossip, and other people seem to be okay with it, so it seems fine, but we have to go against that. We desire to express sexuality in whatever way. Outside of marriage doesn't matter. And culture absolutely tells us it's not that big of a deal but we have to fight against that way of thinking. We have to fight against our desire to act in the same way that culture tells us we should. It seems so much sense, or it makes so much sense to just please people around us and live to please people, and it feels right, but we're not supposed to live like that, even though it is so tempting. And then we fight these sin patterns for so long, semester after semester. I've been talking basically the whole year, but even this week with guys, and I am slash have been in the same boat where it's like, I've been fighting this sin for years. And it honestly ticks me off a little bit to hear, hey, keep praying about it, keep fighting. Because we want something new. These patterns have built up for years in our lives. Sometimes seemingly with no end in sight, it seems hopeless. And in some cases, maybe I'm the only one who's experienced this, we just kind of let go. 
We distance ourselves from community because they're nagging us and it's uncomfortable to talk about those sin patterns, especially if they've been in our lives for a long time. We're tired of being exhausted with this constant battle and then the sin actually sinks its teeth further in. But Jesus wants us to actively fight against sin and to do that consistently. That wears me down just thinking about it. I am comforted, that's an understatement, by the fact that Jesus is here for the long game and is much more patient than you or I will ever be. But having discipline in our lives is insanely difficult. Self-control and discipline are difficult. That's like, yep, that's a given. You can move on. Uh, Here's why. It's just difficult in general to be consistent. We know this. I read something. Hopefully it was reliable. I can believe it. It's estimated that less than 25% of New Year's resolutions will still be going by January 30th in six days. Won't even make it to the second month of the year. Consistent discipline is insanely difficult. I'm not a big resolution guy, but you have no idea how many times I have tried to give up chocolate. I'm a normal human, so I find it delicious, but I keep thinking, okay, that would be a step in the right direction. Eliminate that from my diet. There have been several Mondays where it's like, this is the week. This is the time. I'm at least going to give it up for the week. Maybe my whole life. We'll see how this goes. Then somebody is like, hey, I made chocolate chip cookies. And I'm like, okay, well... Jesus would be a good guest and a good friend. He would eat one, if not several. This is the Christian thing to do. It's just difficult to be consistent. I ate chocolate today, for sure. Uh, (laughs) Discipline is also difficult to wrap our heads around because it gets messy when we take a concept like this, when we talk about running the race with Jesus, and we put it with an earning mentality that we so often have. If we have this earning mentality and we're trying to be people of discipline, we're trying to fight sin, then we're tempted to feel like if we fail to be perfectly disciplined, if we fail in self-control, if we fail to fight sin, then we are guilty and it's really hard for Jesus to love us. And it destroys us. And that is not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus has saved us from our sin and has given those that know him the right to be called righteous and viewed by God as righteous. We do not affect our standing with him. We do not affect if we are sons or daughters of God based on if we've had a good week. But the thing is, we are still in a broken world. We're experiencing the presence of sin, and we do need to play an active role in fighting sin and fighting to love Jesus. To make this more clear, I believe that the things we do, whether we're talking about habits, whatever it is, the things that we do cannot affect our identity with God, but they can affect the condition of our hearts. For example, we can do things that will help us later by shaping our affections and our desires. Sometimes that joy comes after doing those disciplines. Those things are intertwined. We can do things and we do every day that affect our hearts. At all times, we are doing things that affect the condition of our hearts. I know I'm being repetitive. We need to know that. We need to know this isn't legalism. It's not earning if we are seeking to know Jesus more. And and think about the person in your life that is very disciplined. And we all know that person, like that person that when I asked at the beginning if you're disciplined, you looked at them like, that's you. Like the person that wakes up 
at 5.30 a.m. every day. Some people do that. It's a wild thing. They run seven miles just to get warmed up, run some more, eat some kale. Avocado on toast is the thing I've heard. Um, and if they're lucky, they run again. And this person, they're not aimless. And the end goal for them, whatever they're aiming for, that's the filter through which they make every decision that they do. This person is running every day. They're running today when it's negative 50 outside. They're like, gotta go for a jog. And then they're the person that's like, hey, this summer my goal is to run a marathon. You're like, thanks, I'd love if you would quit talking about it. <laughs> and they won't, and you're like, you run 26 miles? I'll watch 26 seasons of Grey's Anatomy before finals week. <laughs> Who's disciplined now? Anyways, I'm not bitter at those people, I'm jealous of them. This person, though, they think very critically about the food they eat, their sleep, everything they do, their schedule, their overall patterns of life. And we do this, too, with what we want most. For example, in my life, often the thing that has my thoughts and a lot of my energy and is kind of the filter and lens through which I view everything I do is I think, how will this come off to other people? How will I look to my friends or people I don't know? How will I look to this person that I look up to? What if I say this? What if I buy this? Or we ask, okay, how will this affect my future? Is my family going to be okay with that? What will my significant other or potential significant other think? What will this look like to people? And I'm challenging you to think very critically. And maybe you don't actually know Jesus and you realize you are chasing a crown of dust. I hope you do realize it. You need to know that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are a gift to us, including to you. You need to know him. You need to put your trust in him, and your life will have a direction. I don't know if you've read this stuff. There's stuff, social media, LinkedIn, everywhere. Not joking, just stuff that's like, Millennials, that's all of us. Millennials long for a purpose. And I'm like, I think everyone kind of does. But that has just become so evident in our generation. People are looking for purpose. They're looking to have a meaningful life that actually has a direction. Because we're supposed to have that longing because Jesus gives us that direction. And maybe you know Jesus and the perfect word to describe you is aimless. And, and don't be fooled into thinking that you're not aimless just because your biggest goal in life changes every week based on where you are, based on if you're at home, based on who you're with, what your connection leader says. You are still aimless based on what's newer and shinier to you. And maybe you, need, you know Jesus and you need to ask, what are the patterns of your life? And are they helping you in your walk with Jesus? What are you disciplined towards? Pay careful attention to how you're living, to your time, and to the patterns of your life. And you don't need to be that person. This is me. If I hear something like this, I'm like, okay, tomorrow is January 25th, 2019, and I'm going to read the Bible once a month, every month, and tomorrow, prayer walk through the dorms before I go to bed. I'm doing it every night. Who's going with me? You don't have to be that guy. So if you're freaking out, like, what do I need to do? Just be aware of the spot that you're in, and I think that you will easily realize that some of the patterns in your life can be changed, can help you love Jesus more. I, I know that might sound oversimplified. I just don't want you to be overwhelmed. 
even if that means you're going to just put the Bible in front of you a little bit more regularly, even a few minutes a day, just pay attention and think through if the rhythms of your life are helpful to you. And the really, really fun part about this whole text, and yes, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, is that the way that this chapter ends doesn't actually sound fun at all. Notice Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I will not be disqualified. Some versions of this verse say, I beat my body and make it my slave. That's not comforting at all. Some passages of the Bible are like, that makes me feel warm inside. This makes me feel sweaty and overwhelmed. I beat my body and make it my slave. I discipline my body. Because it sounds very restriction. Because another thing about people in general, and especially our generation, is we love freedom. We want to travel wherever, whenever, buy whatever, wake up whenever we want, do whatever we want. Freedom is a good thing. We desire freedom, and I do not want to be restricted. And living a life in which I'm paying close attention and disciplining myself sounds like the opposite of freedom. But it's not. Because to be disciplined and to go against the grain of our flesh and of our culture, to work to be self-controlled as we walk with Jesus is actually the most freeing thing that we can do. Think of a fish, any type of fish. You can close your eyes if you need to visualize a fish. Maybe you like fishing. We've all seen fish. Picture a fish in the ocean. And that fish is only free if it has some restriction. A fish in the ocean is only free if it is restricted to living in water. The air might look freeing, the beach, the mountains, whatever, might look like that's more freedom. But as soon as the fish is left out of water, it does not have more freedom. It has no freedom because living away from the water is the very thing that's going to kill it. I am telling you that Jesus gives us freedom and he is the only way to actually have true freedom. And Jesus has freed us from sin in order to live with him, which is the only way to live freely. It's the only way to be free from the sin that is killing us, like the air is killing the fish. Jesus helps us to actually restrict and cut off our love for lesser, lesser things so that we can love greater things. That's what this discipline is about. That's what self-control is about. He actually frees us up to quit loving those things that kill us and are much less valuable and to love him. And if you don't know Jesus, you're like, why do I need to love this guy I know nothing about? And as you get to know Jesus, you're going to realize this is nothing like chasing an imperishable crown. Nothing like chasing a perishable crown. Glad I corrected that because that would have been completely backwards. You're going to realize that we'll be running the race we're supposed to. We'll be living according to our actual nature as we know Jesus, like the water, or like the water is to the fish. That's the nature that we belong in, is being with Jesus. And Paul's call to the Corinthians is for them to realize that the way they were living 
was not in line with who they claimed to be. That's a problem because our lives should reflect our identity. That means to be a Christian means our lives, even the smallest of things that we do, are to reflect and flow from that identity. I want to know Jesus more, and I want to be running faster in this race we're talking about when I am 80 years old, if I make it to that. I want the things that I am doing now to aim towards Jesus, not towards my comfort, not towards the American dream, even if there's some good things that are a part of that. We should not just be looking for something that's going to get us through college or is going to satisfy right now. I want to ask myself, what can I do that's going to affect me and shape me for this long trajectory of life, not just for the time that I'm involved with Salt Company? And maybe one day, this was super weird to think about as I was thinking through this with my wife, um, I was thinking, what if I have grandkids one day? That's terrifying to just think about having kids. Very weird to think about having grandkids. And that would be a super cool blessing in life. I hope that I know God more at that point. I hope that I can open 1 Corinthians with my grandkids and say, I read this when I was 24. I've read it since then. I'm going to read it again now. I know God more. My relationship with him more full. And I hope that when I'm 90, I can look back on when I'm 80 and say the same thing. And I hope that this affection is being stirred up in my heart every single day that I'm on this earth and that I'm in heaven. That's why the command is do not stand still, do not be aimless, run the race in such a way that you're living for a prize because you are. You guys can go ahead and stand up with me. I want to pray and as I think about this prayer, I, I was thinking, hey, I'll pray to transition out of this message. That's not what I want this to be for. I want to be intentional and pray that we can be aware of the patterns in our life and be aware if they are damaging to us or if they are helpful to us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these verses. I thank you that you are our promised prize, and that our hope in you uh, is not an empty hope, and that you are a prize that does not fade away, it does not perish. I, I want meaning in my life, and it's not found in all the things I'm tempted to give my life and my time to. Meaning is found in knowing you. It's going to affect our words, the work we do, our time, our money. It's going to give us a mission. And the identity that you give us is the most wild and important thing about us, that we get to know you. Will you help us think critically about our lives? Would you help us to be aware of the patterns in our life? Would we not just act like we know you because it's a part of culture and it feels like we're supposed to say that? Would we know you and would that affect everything and would that affect the small things that we do and would there be small disciplines that we do? Whatever it is, even if it's going on a walk that would help us be with you and love you because you have given us a direction. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we get to worship you right now. I pray that tonight uh, that our hearts are stirred up by this word and just by the words that we are singing in these songs. Uh, we are praying these things in Jesus' name. Amen.